Father, we acknowledge the fact that apart from you, we can do nothing. And then in the midst of everything that we face, in the midst of what we carry in here, that we serve a risen Savior who can defeat the very death with which we walk through those doors in because we are trapped in our sins. And we know that our sins lead to death. But we thank you for the fact that we can experience life and life more abundantly in Christ. And just as we sang, God, you defeated sin, you defeated death, you defeated the grave, and you have offered us hope. And we stand and we sing hallelujah, which literally means to praise Yahweh, the one true king, Jesus, who paid the ultimate price. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians Chapter 3, we are going to continue on uh, with our Joyride series, um, and, and uh, we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 12, and the question I have for you today is this, what does God want you to do? What does God want you to do in the midst of what He has done for us? That's a question I want you to think about. What does God want me to do day in and day out in my life that I should be moving forward in, in the direction that He wants to take us? Maybe you feel like, you ever been on a treadmill? And treadmills are, are, are nice, but at the same time, I hate them. And here's why I hate a treadmill, because you don't go anywhere. One of the worst things about being on a ship, when I was in the Navy, we, would have, we had an area to work out, and there were, actually there were a couple areas. That you had a free weight, uh, weight room, which was at the back of the ship, up higher because the ship didn't rock as much up there. Uh, but one of the rules when you were lifting weights in there was you always had to use the collars on the weights because multiple times when we were in there lifting, there inevitably was some guy who thought, I don't need to put the collars on the bars. I'm man enough. I can do it. And here's what would happen. They would start to do the bench press and the ship would take a turn, a roll, and you would see this. And all the weights would go, wham, and they would slam down on this side because all the weights stayed on this side of the bar and it would be nothing but trouble. Well, now picture this. Go down to the room where all the treadmills are on a ship that rocks and rolls and pitches forward and back. And here's what would have, basically what would happen. You're running. You set the, 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 the height of the treadmill. If you've ever been on treadmill, you know you can set the, the height so you can either run up hills or down hills or things like this. But the way the pitch of the ship would take part is guys would be running and then all of a sudden you'd hear thump, 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 thump and it would be hitting the plastic part where the belt goes underneath because they were running downhill. You know, the ship would pitch to that side and all of a sudden they're running downhill and they're like, man, I'm cooking. And then the ship would pitch back the other way and you'd hear, because they're trying to run uphill. And maybe you feel like at times that that's more or less just the, the position you're in in life. Sometimes you're going downhill, things are good, but you're going uphill, but maybe you feel like you're getting nowhere. You're kind of just stuck on this treadmill of constantly and consistently being in a race, but you're not going anywhere. And Paul in Philippians chapter 3 challenges the church at Philippi to focus in on the finish line and what's going on. And what's the best thing about running a race is running a race that you actually finish. You know where the ending point is. You know where the finish line is. And running a race where you actually finish, unlike a treadmill. That's why I said, to me, 
it drives me nuts. I get off a treadmill and I feel like, I mean, I know I've ran, but yet at the same time, I'm like, I didn't really accomplish anything. I just don't feel, and as a matter of fact, I, I actually feel funny. You know, did anybody else get off the treadmill and you feel like you're walking twice as fast? You like take a step and you feel like you're in warp speed or something. You're like, what? What the heck's going on? But Philippians chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, turn there. And I'm going to jump into verse 10 because I want to tie in the context of everything we've been doing. We've been doing this joyride series. Verse 10 says this. Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Listen to what he says now. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. You get that idea, right? Hear what he says. Not that I have already obtained it or have already been made perfect. So this mentality, this idea has to be this, that you and I are a work in progress. We have not arrived, contrary to popular opinion. Once you are a Christian, doesn't mean you're perfected and never going to sin. That point comes later when you return to heaven or when you Uh, when Jesus comes back. So there's this idea of taking place, and Paul's laying this out. I am a work in progress. Get that in your mind. Matter of fact, you may have to say it right now. I am a work in progress. It's something that is going on day in and day out in my life. So listen again, as we said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And then he reiterates it again. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature, get this, I love this, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. In other words, a mature Christian realizes they don't have everything together. They're still a work in progress. They should have a proper view that I am pursuing after God day in and day out. I am on a pursuit to do this. And if I'm mature, I realize that I am a work in progress. If I'm immature, I probably think I've already arrived. So he says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But but our citizenship, the very place with which we are citizens, we live in, we are functioning under, our citizenship is in where? Heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, just as we just sang. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So here's the deal. Here's the idea. Here's the thought process that you've got to get through is that we've got to know what it means to forget 
what was in the past and move forward into what God wants us to accomplish or what God wants us to do. And Paul is laying this out. He says, I want to know the power of Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of everything he has, of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. And Paul lays it out. In order to know Christ, there has to be some things that have to take place in your life. And these things are things that you begin to understand. It's a movement forward into obedience of what he's called you to do. See, no matter what you've faced, no matter what you've gone through or struggled with, you and I must continue to press on to know Christ more, to move on into a future that has already been secured by Christ. And so that's what he wants to get the picture or through or the idea through to the Philippian people. Regardless of what happened in the past, don't let the past dictate how your future is going to look. Too many people in today's world let the past dictate how your future is going to look. In other words, we're like, oh, I made this decision, so I guess, I, you know what, I'm, I'm going to have to roll with it and go. We let the past dictate too much how our future should look when the reality should be our past we learn from, our past we grow from, our past we can use to teach others, hopefully to say, hey, hey, don't go down this road, but you don't live in the past, you move on into the future. And Paul wants to lay that out so they begin to move forward that. So here's the big thing. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. Now, I stole this. This is not original. I wish I was really creative like this. I had something like this. Your direction determines your destiny. That's what I said. And I just happened to be reading a book this week, and this is Andy Stanley's book, and it said, your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. And I think that's huge because sometimes our intentions are bad, right? Sometimes our intentions are good. We may have good intentions, but we're not going the right Direction, your direction, not your intentions, determines your destination. It determines how you're going to finish. It determines what's going on. So if I'm going the right way, the way that God wants me to go, the direction he's pointed me in, that's fine. But if I'm not going the direction God's wanting me to do, but I'm saying, well, I, I had good intentions, that doesn't determine your destination. The direction you're heading always does that. Matter of fact, it would be something like this. If I'm planning a trip to California and I decided to head to New York, am I going to ever get to California? Not anytime soon, right? <laughs> like you're going the completely opposite direction. Well, my intention was to go to California, but my direction sent me to New York. The point being, the direction I want to go if I want to reach the end point that God wants me, then I need to head in the right direction, not the wrong direction. So intention doesn't matter. Your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. So here's the question. How do I move forward? How do I move forward in this life? How do I get to know Christ and the power of his resurrection? How do I continue to move on in the direction that God wants to take me? Day in and day out, how do I do it? And number one is this, I believe you have to admit you haven't arrived. Now, this is a hard one, because we like to think we got our act together, we like to think that everything's okay, we like to think that, you know, we're better than other people if, if we've done certain things, but what Paul is laying out is this, you have to admit you don't have it all together, that you have not arrived 
I mean, think about this. This is Paul, all right? Yeah, I mean, he lays out the, the, the things before, you know, a Pharisee among Pharisees, a Hebrew, the tribe of Benjamin, all of those things. He lays out everything he's accomplished. But I want you to think about this. Paul lays all those and he says, hey, uh, by the way, I've, I've forgotten those things. They're all rubbish. They're all gone. They're past. They're, they're nothing. And he says, I haven't arrived. Even in the midst of having a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, Paul admits he has not arrived. He hasn't reached the final destination. He's on his way, but he hasn't arrived. And so you have to admit that you haven't arrived. And here he lays out two double negatives, or two negatives, I should say, sorry, in verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. And then he goes on in verse 30, uh, 13. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. You hear what he's saying? I haven't arrived. My goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and to share in his sufferings. But guess what? I haven't arrived yet. I haven't understood what that means day in and day out all the way fully. I have not arrived yet. And we have to understand that a true understanding of spiritual maturity is to be humble and acknowledge that you're still a work in progress. I think one of the things that is the biggest struggle for people who go back to church or have never been to church is when they feel, and I, I have to clarify this, when they feel like everybody else thinks they're better than them. Now, first of all, if you're that person, I want you to know that you're in good company. Because I don't know of anybody here who walks around with their head held high thinking they're better than anybody else. I honestly don't. But I also want you to know this. We can't use that mentality of not having arrived to feed the sin nature within our own lives. Because that's what ends up happening a lot of times. Well, I haven't arrived, so that means I can just do whatever the heck I want. Which Paul then has a whole letter. If you want to go read it, we did it a couple years ago over the summer called Galatians. And when you're free in Christ, it doesn't mean you're free to do whatever the heck you want. So Paul lays this beautiful truth out that he says, I haven't arrived. See, we haven't arrived, but we must pursue and remain in pursuit of the goal that God has for our lives. Listen to what he says again. He says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. So he carries this idea that he presses on. He moves forward in spite of the cause, in spite of everything that's gone on. I know I haven't arrived yet, but what do I do? I keep on moving. When uh, growing up, we used to go hiking a lot up in the mountains in Wyoming. We'd go up with my grandparents, and there were times where we really felt like we just couldn't go anymore. Like, I mean, we're 11, 12 years old, and I know, you know, in today's world, this would be like, they, you know, parents would probably be brought up on child abuse charges or whatever, but um, w we left. Like, we would tell my grandma, uh, we would pack lunches, and we would hike. I'm talking mountains in Wyoming. I'm not talking Ozark Hills. Um, I'm talking mountains in Wyoming with bears and mountain lions and, and things like that, and we would hike eight and a half miles to the ranger station. And... Coming back was always the hardest. Going there, you're like, oh, that's great. We would eat lunch usually halfway there. We'd get to the Ranger Station afternoon, then we had to come back, which is all downhill. The only problem is it's still eight and a half miles. <laughs> so start putting things together. You're like, oh my gosh, what did we do? Uh, you know, but 
there were times where you're just like, you got to press on. You got to keep moving. You got to move with progress. You want to reach the end. You got to keep moving. And so listen to what he says. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, here's what he's saying. I haven't arrived But here's the thing I have to understand. This is what you have to get in. If you want to pick up on the big picture of what Paul's trying to say, he says you got to pick up this. If you want to move in the direction God wants you, you have to forget what is behind and strain towards what is ahead. Too many of us live in and reflect on the past and we stay trapped by our past because we're like, well, that's where we were at, that's who I am, and so I can't move into the future. And what Paul's saying is that's never an excuse. You can't let the past dictate the future for you because your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. And so he says, literally, you can admit that you haven't arrived, but in the admission part of not having arrived, you have to do a couple of things. You forget what is behind, and you press on towards or move forward into what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind and straining. And I love this term that he uses in straining. This idea, if you can think about straining, it's like this reaching forward as a competitor in the race. Anybody ever strained when, like, You've really worked hard or something, maybe you strained a back muscle. Maybe, you, I, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm just, you know, if you would put yourself in that situation, he says, I forget what is behind and I strain for it. What does strain carry? An idea of pain, agony, hard work, pushing forward regardless of the pain and the struggle and the difficulty. He says, I forget what is behind and I strain for what is ahead. I am reaching forward. Why? Because I want to move to where God wants me, not stay where I've been. And Paul has the admonition to say, I don't want to be that. Matter of fact, I would even challenge you with this. If you are the same person now that you were a year ago, you're not straining. You're trapped by your past. You are letting the past dictate to you what your future should look like when the reality is your past should be forgotten and you strain towards what is ahead. So admit that you haven't arrived. Understand that you can move on. As a matter of fact, I think about this. Past successes and failures are just that. They're in the past. One of the jokes that always comes together is when I get together with my baseball buddies I play college ball with, (laughs) We kind of relive the glory days, don't we? It's like, you remember when, you remember when that one guy hit a home run? You remember when that, you remember when such and such hit a home run off this building? Yeah, 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 we, we got all these stories, it's the glory days. Matter, matter of fact, maybe you're old enough, you remember Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, yeah, that's all I had to say, Right? You know what I'm talking about, the Glory Day song. And maybe you think about that. And what he's saying is, forget the past and strain towards the future. Too many of us want to live in the glory days. We want to focus on those things and we let the past determine our future instead of looking at the past, forgetting the past, and pointing ourselves in the direction God wants us to go and moving forward out of obedience in the direction God wants us to go. So admit you haven't arrived. Matter of fact, I'm going to read this just because I found it so interesting. There is no past defeat so devastating as to exclude us from going forward in the presence. So regardless of what you've done in the past, you are forgiven of it. When you confess 
to Jesus and you turn from the ways you've gone and you turn towards him. Regardless of how bad you think it is, there is no sin too great that cannot be forgiven. So I forget about it and I press on. Because past failures will keep you discouraged. Past successes will keep you apathetic and complacent. Matter of fact, we say this with our boys on the baseball team. Don't let your highs get too high and your lows get too low. Because if you think you've arrived because all of a sudden you've won, you're going to get beat. And when you get beat, there becomes problems. There's a complacency, a matter of fact. If, if somebody won the championship and never had to work ever again, there would be a complacency, an apathetic attitude. I don't have to work. But the truth of the matter is, when you win a championship, now you're going to have to work. Matter of fact, we tell this to our boys all the time. You win a championship, you're going to have to work harder. You want to know why? Because now you're a marked target. Everybody wants to beat the champ. I mean, just ask the Chiefs. They always want to beat the Broncos. <laughs> so, anyways, yeah, I know. <laughs> How do we move forward? Number two. So, number one, admit you have arrived. Number two, keep moving towards the finish line. One of the things I loved about running that marathon last year, or half marathon, sorry, was finishing. <laughs> Crossing the finish line was the greatest thing ever, especially when you're walking and you're like, okay, I just passed mile marker seven. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, I got six point however many miles to go. This is not, I'm, I'm just a little over halfway, all right? But here's the reality of what he's saying. I have to keep moving forward toward the finish line. So he's saying this, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. Listen to what he says. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. How many of you would run a race if you knew it never ended? Like, hey, who wants to sign up for the never-ending race? You're going to run all over the place. I mean, we're not Forrest Gump, all right? So I don't know very many people who like to sign up for races where there's no ending. There's no finish. There's no goal. There's no reward at the end. And what Paul is saying is I press on to grasp or take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. So forgetting what is behind, I strain towards what, I ha- uh, what is ahead, and I press on toward the goal. So I have to keep moving forward one step at a time. Sometimes those steps are slower, sometimes they're harder. For me, running the half marathon was fine up until mile eight. And then something happened with my knee. It's called an IT band. You don't have to look it up. But my IT band locked up on me. And it was torturous. Like, matter of fact, one guy, the last mile, I had just crossed. I say last mile. It's really probably the last quarter mile. I had just crossed. And you could see the finish line way down in there. And this guy's running. He's trying to encourage me. He's like, really great. And he grabs me. Whoosh, come on! And it about kills my knee. Because, I mean, my knee was killing me at this point. And I'm like, don't touch me! you finish and I'll walk. And I didn't. I was just kind of a light job, but I mean, it was just, it was torturous. But I knew the finish was coming. I knew there was a point where I was done. And maturity is the point of God's work in our lives. Listen to what he says. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward. All of us who are mature should take such a view of these things. Maturity is the goal. 
Sanctification is the goal. Holiness is the goal. As I am mature, I acknowledge that I don't necessarily have everything together at all times, but I know who does. I know the Savior who does. I know the Savior who forgave me who does. But the reality also is this. Maturity acknowledges where I'm at, but does not go down to the depths of being an immature person. A mature person never hangs out with an immature person. You ever notice that? But here's what oftentimes ends up happening in our lives. Mature person wants to run back and play immature games, and the reality is the mature person isn't mature at all because they're just running back into immaturity. Maybe you know an individual like that. Maybe you have an adult in mind who always plays games. As a matter of fact, you know, my wife sometimes will joke and she'll take a picture of the three kids and me playing, and she says, There's something about having four kids in the family. You know what I mean? So it's just one of those things. But you have to admit where you're at. You have to keep moving forward. See, you minister best out of health, not gifting or effort. And that's what Paul's laying out. All of us who are mature should take such a view of these things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Here's how he'll make it clear to you. He'll always make it clear to you in his word. God never contradicts his word. God doesn't change his mind on the word. God doesn't say, okay, you can do that and go against the word because you're you, but these people over here, they got to follow it, all right? God always supports, encourages, stands on, defends, and uses his word to keep us where he wants to to go. And so a mature believer, a mature person takes a view of these things And if I think differently than somebody else, God's going to make it clear to me through his word by lining my life up with his word, not lining my life up with other things. So I keep moving forward to the finish line. And like I said, the best thing about it is there's a goal in mind. Number three, how do I keep moving forward? Number three, follow godly leadership. Listen to what he says in verse 17. Join with others in following my example. Now, Here's the struggle, because a lot of times we will face difficulties and struggles. It's always good, and I I, I stand by this, it is always good to follow strong, godly, biblical leaders. I'm not just talking about a pastor. It may be a Sunday school teacher. It may be a person you work with who goes to a different church who's a strong Christian. It is always good to follow strong, godly leadership. And that's what Paul is saying. He says, listen, join with others in following my example. Now, it kind of comes across to a certain extent arrogant. But Paul's point is not that. Paul is trying to follow Jesus so close that he's saying, hey, I'll follow Jesus. You follow me. We'll all be in it together. All right. So it's join with others in following my example, brothers. And listen to what he says. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you, which always lines itself up with God's word again, all right? So he's saying this, saying you need to follow godly leadership. We don't imitate every area of Paul's life because we know his past and we don't want to be trapped in his past, but we know the future. We know where we're going. We're being obedient to what God has called us. So we don't imitate every area, but Paul says, hey, as I'm following Jesus, you follow Jesus. So pay attention to those who live according to God's word. One of the things I learned as a young individual, as a young youth pastor and and even a volunteer in youth ministry before we got into paid ministry, was I made mental notes of every 
what I would call, I mean, not just mental notes, sometimes I got them in my journal things, of every positive and negative leadership characteristic I could see within pastors, you know, the pastors I served under, or within people within the church. I look back now, there was a guy in our church in Texas when we were down there, his name was Dale. Dale was older. Dale was in his mid-70s. Dale was of the old school tradition. If we just got back to the hymns and used King James only, then the, the church was going to be successful, in which I'm sitting here going, I don't agree with that. Here's why. And I asked Dale one day, I said, Dale, will you uh, meet with me every week, Wednesday? And he was like, what? For what? I was like, we just need, let's, let's talk. Let's talk about the Bible, let's talk about Jesus, let's talk about what we're learning through things, let's talk about ministry stuff. Would you do that? And I look back at that, and I, I listened to a pastor who was talking in my seminary class at one point, and he said, you've got to learn to listen to people who are in your church so that you know where they're at, you know the struggles they deal with, you know what they believe, you know what they think, so that you can relate to them and always communicate truth with them. And I remember taking that on with Dale, and I did that for, I don't know, it was about six months before he left the church um, over some problems, some issues that he just didn't like. Um, but I look back, and I enjoyed that time because we agreed to disagree, but we had great conversation on things. And I look back, and I think that's the way God prepared me to do what I was called to do because I learned to listen. Every success and every failure. Matter of fact, I look back and I remember thinking, if and when I ever become a pastor, instead of a youth pastor, I will treat people a certain way because I saw certain pastors treat people with disrespect, with manipulation, with, with things like that. And I made note, I'm not going to treat, I'm not going to manipulate people. To me, manipulation is the, the lowest form of leadership you can ever get because I really don't think it's leadership at all. And so I, you learn to follow godly leaders. That's what Paul is laying out. Matter of fact, some of you may remember this. I remember it as a kid. I was probably 11 or 12. Charles Barkley, who played for the 76ers, and then later the Phoenix Suns had a commercial that came out, and he says, I am not your role model. You guys remember that? Charles Barkley was like, I am not a role model. And to a certain extent, he wasn't. He didn't want to be the role model. He just wanted to play basketball. But I want you to think about this, that you relentlessly pursue after others who are Christ-like, others who are following Jesus. That if you see somebody running after Jesus, chasing Jesus and being obedient to Jesus, that you just say, dude, I'm going to watch that guy. I want to learn from that guy. I still keep my eyes on the Savior, but that dude's running after Jesus, and I'm going to follow, and I want to learn everything I can from that individual. Paul's literally laying that out to follow godly leadership. And here's why. Listen to what he says in verse 18. For as I have often told you before and now say even with tears, that many live as what? Enemies of the cross of Christ. You have to begin to understand. Here's why we want to follow godly leadership. Why? Because there are people who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, here's the beauty of this. If you know anything about Paul, he says... Many live as enemies of what? You can cheat. It's okay. Many live as enemies of what? The cross of Christ. All right? But later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul says, they're not our enemies, right? People are not our enemies, for our enemy is who? 
Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the powers, and authorities in the heavenly realms. So in the midst of this, he's saying, look, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, but they're not your enemy. Don't turn them into your enemy. Don't look at them as an enemy. As a matter of fact, Jesus goes on and he says, if, if you have an enemy, what are you supposed to do? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So Paul's coming out and he says, look, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And this carries this reality that in the midst of their lives, they deny the life-saving, life-transforming power of the cross of Christ and what he did. So they're literally rejecting what we call 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the wisdom of God. So they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. They don't live as your enemy. They live as the enemy of the cross of Christ. So that's the first thing. Number two, their destiny is destruction. In other words, ruin is a result of their separation from God. There's no belief in Christ alone as Savior. Number three, their God is their stomach. In other words, they have this unbridled, uncontrolled pursuit of physical gratification. They live only for temporary pleasure, and they're enslaved to gratifying the lusts of their body, whether that's sexual, physical, chemical, or emotional. Those things become the lust that people will long after. And listen, he's laying this out. Their God is their stomach. They are letting their physical body be the very thing that is controlling them. This speaks highly to addiction type things. That we don't give in to that. But listen to number four. Their glory is in their shame. Now, going back to glory days... You ever found yourself in this situation? And I find it rather often, it seems like. Matter of fact, my wife won't let me tell stories because of how bad my high school, to a certain extent, was. She's already told me I can't tell stories to Ethan because of what I did. Like, I start talking about stories, and she's like, don't you ever tell Ethan that. It's like, like getting into fight and back out, fights in back alleys, like throwing trash cans at people in fights. Like, I mean, all of these types of things that I did. And it's funny because sometimes I'll glory in that. Like I'll be like, you remember when we were in the back alley and we beat the daylights out of those guys? And my friend's like, yeah, that was awesome. Listen to what he says. Their glory is in their what? Shame. An immature person looks back and they glory in their shame. In other words, what they're saying is the very things I should be shameful of, I boast in. I talk about, I brag about. See, they praise themselves and they delight in their shame. They glory in their sin and their independence from God. And then the last thing it says that their minds are on earthly things. In other words, they put their heart and their hope on the very things that anybody has access to. See, the things that we brag about are the things that really oftentimes are shameful. And what we have to begin to understand, and when, when, when Paul lays this out, that by their fruit you will know them, by their focus you will recognize that they are not walking according to the pattern of Jesus Christ. And so when you follow that leader, you look and you say, I follow the leader who doesn't glory in his shame, who does not chase after earthly things, who's not going that direction. I follow the guy who's put Christ first, and that's the direction I go. So always look for godly influence in your life, 
so that you can move forward. Listen, keeping in mind that this is the idea that I'm forgetting what is behind. I'm straining towards what is ahead. I'm finding the guy who's running as fast as I could. Matter of fact, I'll go back to the, mar- the half marathon thing. All right. In running that half marathon, I would pick out people and try and stay close to them. It's like, all right, I saw that guy, you know, like some like super neon green shirt. And I'd be like, I'm going to stay with that guy. And you just pick those people out. Now, I mean, I didn't know the guy. I didn't know his influence. I didn't know how fast he was running. You know, I just pick out a person. You try and stay close. But I want you to think about it in that way, that when you find a person who is running after Jesus, you know they're following the word. They're obedient to what he's called you to do. Then you follow that person too. Learn from them. Are they going to make mistakes? Yeah. Are they going to hit a wall where they're going to slow down? Yeah. Maybe that's the time where you need to go, hey, come on, let's go. I learned to follow godly leadership. And then the last thing, how do I move forward? You have to move forward into the future. You have to move forward with the end in mind. See, our mindset, our citizenship, our, our, our uniqueness is all wrapped up in what he says. He says their mind is on earthly things, and he goes in and he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Here's the goal of everything that Paul's saying. Paul is saying the very goal in the end is the fact that you know that you're headed towards heaven, you know that your citizenship is in heaven, you know that you're waiting the Savior who's going to return from heaven and transform our bodies from what they are now to be like his glorious body. So move forward into the future, being obedient to what God has called you to do. Paul's biggest factor in Philippians is to be obedient no matter the cost, obedient to the Savior, obedient to the one who, remember, was equal with God but did not consider equality something to be grasped. And so in the midst of this joy ride, Paul is calling us to be a part of something great. And that's called part of the kingdom of God. C.S. Lewis says it this way, and I'm going to close with this. In his book, Mere Christianity, he says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. We don't focus on the end progress picture we focus only on our race nine times out of ten and what he's saying is if you want to be an effective christian you keep your mind on the end you keep your mind on the prize you keep your mind on the finish line that's what makes you effective when you take your mind off the finish line then we begin to run every which way and in every different direction and we're not effective but a proper believer, a proper person, a person who has put their faith and trust in Christ, who understands the direction they're going, is being obedient no matter the cost, realizing they haven't arrived, that person, following godly leaders, following God's word, can move forward effectively when they keep their mind on the end. The fact that where Jesus is now, I will one day be, and the fact that where Jesus is now, he will one day return from, to transform my lowly body into a glorious one. When I keep the end in mind, I'm an effective runner. When I forget the end, I lose all effectiveness. See, our hope is in a future, and I want to encourage you and assure you with that. If you have put your faith and trust in Christ, that is the promise. 
When you follow Jesus obediently, there are going to be ups and downs. There are going to be hills. There's going to be valleys. But when you move forward in obedience, you have the opportunity to stay faithful to what he's called you to do, to follow him no matter what the cost. And remember that your direction, not your intention, determines your destination. The direction of following God will always lead you to the end, the finish line, not your intentions. You may have great intentions. You may say, my, well, it was my best intention to follow God. But yeah, but are you? Are you moving in the direction of following God? Or are you moving away from Him? Because that's the reality. That's, that's really how it plays out. You're going one of two directions. You're either going with Him or you're walking away from Him. That's the reality. That's the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. And we pray that we would be Christians who follow you obediently no matter what. That, God, we would move in a direction that is obedient to you. That as you are moving, we would follow you. And, God, maybe we just need to find somebody who's already running the race, a leader who's leading, and maybe we just need to follow them as close as we can to learn from them, both their successes and their failures. But, God, I pray most of all that we would keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. That we, we may not run in vain, that we would run as a person who beats his body, as you say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a person who beats his body and submits it to you so that we may finish the race and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Just where you're at, as you settle your heart with God, as you maybe feel like God is leading you in a certain direction, maybe you'd say, I'm already running that direction. I just need to find somebody to follow, a leader to unite with and, and, and connect with. Maybe that's you, and maybe you have somebody in mind, and you can go and talk to them later. But I really want to talk to those who maybe are walking a different direction. You've had good intent. Your intentions were good, but maybe you've just walked away. And I want to challenge you with this, that Jesus says, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. I won't turn my back, but what oftentimes happens is we turn our backs. We walk the opposite direction. We turn in a completely different way from him. And here's the beauty of this. The word repentance in the Bible literally means to do a 180 degree turn. Not because God turned his back on us, but because we turned our back on him. And when you repent, the Bible says when you repent, in other words, I turn from my ways and I believe in Jesus, you're going to be saved. Here's the beauty of that. When you repent of the way you've been going, Jesus will stand there, arms open wide, ready and willing to accept you, to take you back. Maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Christ before, and if that's you, here's just a simple invitation. I'm going to be up here at the end. Matter of fact, as we sing this song, I'm going to be right up here. If you want to ask questions, if you want to talk about your faith in Jesus or putting your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to know that I would love to talk with you. But I also want you to know this, that there is nothing magical about coming and talking to me. The Bible says that if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that you would be saved, that you believe that Jesus died on the cross and you confess with your mouth that God raised him from the grave, that he defeated sin, defeats death, you will be saved. So as we sing this song, 
Maybe you want to join a church. Maybe you want to come up and talk about joining the church. Maybe you've never followed Jesus in baptism. You say, I want to be baptized. I want to make it a public thing. Then I want to encourage you to come. But if you've never nailed down your relationship with Jesus, I want to do that as well. So we're going to stand. We're going to close with the song. After that, you'll be dismissed. But make sure you nail that down today.